Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, the Byline Times podcast. This time, the French elections and the possibility of Marine Le Pen becoming president. What would that mean for us in the UK and the rest of the world, given her previous comments about the EU and NATO? And are there any parallels that can be drawn between her success so far anyway at the polls and the rise of populism in the United States under Trump and here in the UK under Boris Johnson? In a moment, we'll be hearing from Philippe Auclair, UK-based author, journalist and musician who was born and raised in Normandy, but now lives in this country, as I say. Before we do, though, just a reminder that the Byline Times can report without fear or favour because we rely entirely for financial support on ordinary readers and listeners. We don't have a traditional proprietor. We're not here to support any corporate interest. As journalists, we simply want to tell the truth and root out corruption. So if you're with us, please think about taking out a subscription to our monthly newspaper, The Byline Times. That helps to support Byline Radio, The Byline Times podcast, Byline TV as well. And you get details of how to subscribe online at bylinetimes.com. That's our news breaking website, bylinetimes.com, for details of how to subscribe to The Byline Times. So welcome to Philippe Auclair. Philippe, welcome and thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to share some moments with us here on Byline Radio. People perhaps will know you best as a sports commentator uh, based here in the UK, but you've obviously Mm -hmm. got a passionate interest in politics as well. Yes, um, uh, and first of all, well, thank you very much for having me, and uh, thank you very much for guiding me uh, through the process of getting onto uh, Twitter, uh, whatever it is called, um, because I'm a, I'm complete luddite when it comes to that. So you've you've already managed something that I didn't think I was there able of. Yes, and uh, yes, well, I'm. Uh, I, I'm based here, but I, I, I have, a, yes, a great deal of interest in politics. And in fact, I was the political correspondent for Marianne magazine uh, for a number of years before I decided to concentrate on uh, and sports and sports politics and sports governance. But um, so, yes, uh, a, a great interest and a great deal of trepidation as well before uh, Sunday's election, obviously. Well, tell me a little bit about the history of Marine Le Pen. There may be some people listening who don't know about her family history about her dad and about the evolution of her political agenda. So could you just talk us through that, please? Well, I think that it would take probably us the best part of three days to go through everything. But she's the the youngest of um, the three daughters uh, that Jean-Marie Le Pen, who is the the founder of the Front National, the National Front, uh, had with his uh, first wife. Um, She was born in, um, I wouldn't say say in wealth, but um, in... um, yeah, well-to-do family. Jean-Marie Le Pen actually uh, lived and she grew up in a luxurious mansion in, in Saint-Cloud. Um, and um, to be honest, um, I, I, she she took a while to uh, uh, to make her, her own name in politics. And in a way, it has been, a lot of it has been about the denial of the father. I think that you can say it like that. Because Jean-Marie Le Pen was a completely unreconstructed uh, extreme right-wing um, leader. Uh, somebody who was a Holocaust denier, uh, somebody who had made some of his money. I remember that, seeing a few records that he had uh, released on his own label of um, German um, uh, German songs. And you can imagine what kind of German songs they were. 
Uh, there were loads of people in uniform on the sleeves. Um, and and I think her political progress has been basically uh, an attempt to go further and further and to from her, her father's tainted and toxic legacy and to present herself as a kind of a new voice uh, completely distinct from the traditional extreme right wing in France uh, and a process that has been accelerated through through the years. And I think actually a good a good way to understand how far she's tried to move away from that is that uh, when she uh, was against Macron in the previous uh, presidential election, she courted the other extreme right wings candidates. This time this hasn't been the case. And there were a couple. You will have heard about uh, Eric Zemmour, of course, the polemicist, the journalist. Well, she's kept the distances with him. And Dupont-Aignan, uh, who is, I mean, to be honest, quite an insignif insignificant figure in, in many ways, uh, but um, one who was uh, uh, in favor, well, the one who is in favor of Frexit, so to speak, the only declared anti-European of uh, uh, this particular election on the right, that is, and still 2% of the votes. Uh, but what she did, what she has done since then, is um, uh, tried to woo a different type of electorate, and basically the whole reconstruction of the National Front, which changed its name to Rassemblement National, the national gathering. Um, all of this has been, in a way, not necessarily putting her uh, agenda, changing the agenda, the nature of the of the political party that she's the head of, but really a, a work on its image and the work on its perception. And I think we'll find out uh, on Sunday if she's been successful in doing that. But, Philippe, is this quite a, a late change in her life? She has traditionally been described as far right. And yeah. as you say, perhaps doesn't have the, the Nazi connotations of her father. But until this election, anyway, she has been seen politically as being quite allied to his programme in some respects, in that she's nationalist, she's been seen by many commentators as xenophobic or at least yeah. anti-immigrant. So uh, I suppose the question is, is, is how far has she travelled and, and how recent is that? And is, and is that all Ooh. about electoral gain, simply acknowledging that as a, a true far-right candidate, as it were, or as an avowedly far-right candidate, she would not have been elected president? Exactly. And I think it's something that uh, came probably in the wake of her defeat, a very um, large defeat in the previous election, uh, where Macron um, basically, um, well, could completely, uh, uh, I mean, beat her, not fair and square, but really not uh, out of the park, really, uh, which has changed a lot. And since then, for example, I mean, there has been the change of name of the party. There has also been some changes of policy. Um, regarding Europe and the Euro, because uh, the, she was uh, a fervent uh, anti-European, not um, a Eurosceptic. She was she was anti-European, anti-European Union, that is, and uh, in favour of something that an expression you will be um, very familiar with, because I think Nigel Farage was quite fond of it, which is a Europe of nations. <laughs> And uh, I don't think you need uh, a lot of uh, exegesis to understand what exactly is meant by that. Um, and so, and that's very recent because that's 2019 um, that we have got these changes in the program when suddenly there's no question of leaving the Eurozone. Uh, suddenly the discourse on NATO has changed. 
instead of being completely anti-NATO, well, yes, let's be part of it, but let's not be part of everything in it. Um, in terms of the European Union, well, no, we want to stay in, but we want to reform it from within and so on and so forth. So it is, it is a recent uh, evolution. Um, it is an evolution as well, which is in part, and it's a very interesting thing, I, I believe, of the way that Macron and Macronism have totally reshaped the political landscape, the traditional political landscape in France, suddenly opening these vast vistas on, on the right uh, and on the left as well for Mélenchon, uh, which were previously the preserve of traditional parties, uh, be they social democratic and, and socialist, as we socialist, as we say in France, which is certainly to the uh, centre or to the right of what perhaps is understood as socialism in in Britain, on one hand, and on the other, uh, all these Gaullist movements and uh, centre right parties, which keep changing names in France, I know it's quite um, quite puzzling at times, mm. and 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 Macronism in a way has totally hollowed out the political landscape, uh, traditional political landscape um, around uh, the, the person of the president, uh, his program, which was borrowing uh, from the, the center right and the right, but also uh, could appear at the traditional social democratic program. And uh, it's kind of a mixture of a kind of extreme center, if you wish. And this has led to a, a hollowing of the political landscape, which he has um, obviously taken advantage of, just as Jean-Luc Mélenchon has taken advantage of it on the left. And then suddenly you find yourself in a situation uh, where she sees that if she wants to, to gain power, which is obviously her aim, she's got to talk and to cater for these people who traditionally would have voted for right-wing parties and also some of the more populist left. So that's what she's trying to, she's trying to appeal not to the traditional extreme, extreme right-wingers. She's toning down everything that could be construed as extreme right-wing nationalism. Um, and so that she wants to present herself as uh, the candidate uh, of the little people, les petits gens, who have been left behind by this hollowing of the political landscape and by uh, Emmanuel Macron's policies. Yeah, well, of course, the left behind is a, a phrase that's become common parlance in the UK as well, been adopted mm -hmm. by many Conservative MPs. And uh, there's a, an interesting contrast here, isn't there, between her identification with the left behind, with the little people, and her own upbringing, which, as you say, was was pretty comfortable. You know, very comfortable how, how, how truthfully she can identify with those little people. Well, um, I'm, I'm not her greatest fan, so I don't think that she can truthfully identify with those little people. The, the thing is that she's using, she's more using uh, Macron's perceived arrogance, elitism, uh, product of the establishment uh, image, uh, to say um, to her would-be electorate, look at this man, he doesn't care for you. He doesn't live in the same universe as you do. Uh, he's so arrogant, he's so distant, he doesn't really care about you. And and I do, I do. And and so she's trying to uh, um, mollify uh, the, the electorate by putting forward an image which is that of a politician who is listening to uh, the people who have genuine grievances in French society. And there are plenty of those, mm. and um, and and so, which is a typical populist move. Uh, I think it's it's straight from the handbook of populist leaders uh, to see this. You know, it's like a, it's like Peron in Argentina. 
Uh, it's this kind of thing. Um, so you can describe yourself. And to be honest, uh, and um, though I wouldn't label her as national socialist, because that would be, I think, going far too far by saying that, by the way. Uh, but it is the way that a number of fascist movements have, have started their lives as presenting themselves as socialist or inspired by social, anyway, by social dash ist uh, ideas and ideals. And um, not that her program, I think, would necessarily change much in the, in the way that these forgotten little people are living their lives, but that's the way she wants to present herself. Um, you know, she's the anti- Oh, he's still there, Philippe. Sorry, you dropped out there for a moment, Philippe, uh, but I think we got the idea. Uh, Philippe, uh, as you say, in 2017, in the presidential election, she was committed to leaving the European Union. So she has now withdrawn that commitment. That was perceived as scaring off perhaps older voters yeah. who were worried about their savings, for example, if France pulled out of the Eurozone. But she does have a plan, doesn't she? for a referendum if she's elected president on a law that would allow a national priority for French citizens in employment in relation to benefits in terms of public housing and it would give French citizens those benefits over those of mm -hmm. any other national and that mm -hmm. would surely contradict what you sign up to when you're a member of the European Union. I mean, France would be in a collision course on with the European Union on, on so many fronts. Um, I mean, it's obvious. Um, now, the thing you've got to keep in mind, by the way, is that we have two elections coming. We've got the presidential of co election, of course, the second one. Then we've got the election to the parliament, where it is very, very unlikely, I think actually almost impossible, that she would garner a majority, which would lead to complete political chaos which is, by the way, one of the things that might make people think twice about voting for her on Sunday, uh, maybe. Uh, but yes, we would be, uh, France would be on the collision course. France, which is at the moment, you know, presiding over the European Union as well. well what a coincidence. Um, uh, would there, there would be a full head-on collision and, and a, genu a, a genuine existential threat to the, the future of, of, of Europe as we know it, or the European Union as we know it, which is why there is so much worry um, throughout throughout the continent at the moment, because to be honest, the consequences, I really couldn't tell you what the consequences would be. Um, I think because we, we're talking, you're talking about labor law, um, I, but obviously, most importantly, uh, we're talking especially about the diplomatic uh, position of, of the European Union uh, as regards uh, what is happening in Ukraine uh, and more generally in, in the relationship with, with Russia, with Putin's Russia which is a, obviously, I think, the number one subject that everybody is, is talking about um, uh, in France at the moment. Yeah, and I'll, I'll come to her relationship with Putin in a yeah. moment. But I'm, I'm just, I, I just think these, these, this EU dimension, I think, will have real resonance with UK listeners because, again, she would, if she's elected, she says she'd have a referendum that would establish the primacy of national law. French national law over European law, not least with regard to immigration. Again, this runs counter to the principles of the EU. I know that Britain was accused, or the UK was accused, of wanting to have a, a pick-and-mix approach to the, so, yeah. of the EU. But this seems precisely what Marine Le Pen is also seeking. And so, although she's 
backed off from the idea of withdrawing from the EU. If these proposals were backed in a referendum, then Frexit would seem to be at the very least a a possibility. Yes, um, it would. (laughs) Um, And also, she would set uh, an example to other countries which might have been um, tempted uh, by such um, by such measures, and of course the problem is that France, if you excuse my saying so, but France is much more central to uh, the, Europe, the future of the European Union than Britain ever was. So mm. the consequences are a Frexit would more or less mean that the European Union, as we have tried to build it uh, for decades, for over half a century. Um, would probably have run its course. Mm. And, course. When, and when you talk about, you know, that that half a century of building it, of course, it's very easy to forget. Although events in Ukraine may perhaps bring us a sharp reminder that the EU was created in part anyway to ensure that there would be no repetition of the conflict that led to World War Two. I think it was created because of that, <laughs> mm. and 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 and. I would say the foundation of Europe, of European Union, um, and of the European ideal, is the uh, extraordinary effort made by France and what was West Germany at the time uh, to operate a true reconciliation and to see a future together. Which, when we look at it, you know, in hindsight and from our perspective now, was one of the most momentous and 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 bravest, I think. Um, decisions of policy decisions ever taken by either of our countries. And this is what really is the foundation, the founding stone of the European Union. And uh, suddenly you've got somebody who has always been a stranger to this ideal, somebody who has never seen the world in those terms. And when she says reforming Europe from within, for me, it's destroying European Union from within. You know, you have to look in the European Parliament at the moment, uh, where the Rassemblement National has got um, a number of uh, MEPs. You've got to see the the group that they're part of. You've got to see the people that they share uh, Parliament with. I mean, it's people like, uh, it's it's a group called Identity and Democracy. And you've got people like uh, Matteo Salvini's Leganold, uh, you've got uh, the Vlaams Belang in Belgium, um, and you've got the Alternative für, für Deutschland, AFD. This is who the Rassemblement National is in bed with in Europe, in, in the European Parliament. And, and, these, and these are all genuine. These, sorry, Philip, just to interrupt there, just for people who aren't kind of with those references there, but these are all parties that would be regarded, certainly from a, a UK, UK perspective, as being far right. Parliamentary parties Completely. being far right. Completely. And I would say uh, fascistic and neo-Nazi in some cases. Totally. And this is the group that the Rassemblement National is part of. So... You know, when you um, wipe away the uh, the mist she's trying to breathe on on our glasses, this is what you see. She obviously she knows she cannot be elected if 
she sides with the most, the more extreme members of her party. And in fact, actually, there, there have been literal purges within the Rassemblement National. She's got rid of some people who were simply so distasteful that they knew, um, she knew that they would be um, a, a, a great handicap for her political aims. So she got rid of those people. Uh, but that doesn't mean that uh, those links are no longer existent. For example, the Rassemblement National has got uh, some uh, very unsavory links with, in particular, some youth organizations, uh, which are really extreme, extreme right in France. Um, some of whom actually um, are used as stewards in um, some of their meetings and things like that. So uh, it's it's all for show, and it's all for power. And um, she's desperate, obviously, to 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 push that image uh, aside. Uh, I'm pretty sure that in tonight's debate, um, Macron will make sure to remind everybody of who exactly she's linked with. And also when it comes to Europe, by the way, another thing we've got to say here is that um, there is no, uh, the popular support from uh, a, a Frexit in France is minimal. As I said, the only Frexit candidate, uh, Nicolas Dupont-Aignan, uh, got 2.06% of the vote in the first round. Is the uh, and he's the only one who is really saying, you know, from the right, uh, we've got to uh, to sever our links with Europe and and create a Europe of nations and so on and so forth. So she knows that um, she might, you know, there's one one thing is the referendum, which is again a, a populist idea. Referendums are populist ideas. Um, it, it's 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 one thing to do that on one hand, and it's quite another to um, how to put it. This idea of reforming, I go back to that, but reforming the European from within, it's just a means to make this palatable. And and referendums and ideas like that are meant to test the European Union from the inside. So you can come back to the population and see and say, look, they're not letting us do what we want to do. You voted for this. This is what you really want. You want national preference. They are preventing us from doing that. Well, there's only one way we could possibly have your will, the people's will uh, being affected. Uh, it is to actually get out. Either change the nature of the union in such a way that uh, we are given a, a, again, like a, a, instead of uh, signing up to a uh, a program, communal program, European program, and protocols and and laws and so forth. It's a kind of à la carte. It's not a menu you sign for. It's à la carte. You choose exactly what you want, and you decide. Well, no, I don't. I won't have this one. And of course, if you do that, you question the very nature of uh, the the modus operandi of the European Union as well as its ideals. Yes. And you mentioned earlier her links with Trump as well. I mean, she made some quite remarkable comments over the years in relation to Trump. She felt that NATO no longer needed to exist following the demise of the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. She backed Russia's occupation of Crimea. Yep. And there's also this strange nine and a half million euro loan from a, <laughs> from, from a Russian bank that has now gone bust. I mean, it's in, that, that's that's murky as anything, isn't it? Well, she says that um, uh, what happened is that the Front National, it was called at, uh, at the time, uh, was um, 
uh, desperate for some money and that no French bank uh, would uh, agree to that pretty hefty loan, 9.6 million euros exactly. And that she had no other, or they had uh, no other choice but to turn to the one bank that would actually lend them the money, uh, which is, yes, a Russian bank. And by the way, there, there was a little bit of direct action, I think it was the, this morning, by um, a group of uh, young people who went to the headquarters uh, of the Rassemblement National uh, with a van which was filled with fake Russian money. And uh, they basically uh, s threw all those fake banknotes in front of the uh, Rassemblement National's headquarters. So, which is something um, obviously which, uh, as as we get closer to the uh, to the second round of the of the election, to the polling to polling day, is going to be um, pushed forward uh, more and more because these links are absolutely um, undeniable. And uh, the fact that, for example, uh, she's paid regular visits uh, to, to, to Russia and met, uh, I think, four visits, uh, official visits, that is, since 2014. Uh, she met with President Putin in 2017 and had a, a picture taken. It's quite uh, funny. I was going to say funny. It's not funny at all. It's quite sinister. This photograph was supposed to be uh, added to her electoral literature and leaflets. Uh, but that was before, of course, uh, 22nd, 23rd February, when, when Russia invaded Ukraine. And then suddenly they had to pulp <laughs> all those leaflets, which mm. were uh, putting together, um, which were uh, uh, advertising her, her personal relationship with Vladimir Putin. And now she says, oh, I, I don't have any, I, I, he's not my friend. Uh, we've, we've hardly ever seen each other, blah, 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 blah. She's desperately trying to, you know, brush that away. Uh, but that's going to be very complicated indeed for her to uh, to extract herself from the hole that she's been digging for herself and her party for a number of years in terms of their very close relationship with Putin. I mean, the other thing as well, for example, she backed, she completely backed the Russian uh, campaign in Syria, uh, as did Jean-Luc Mélenchon, by the way. And um, she also, uh, I mean, went for Crimea, uh, she said something like, um, well, it cannot be an illegal annexation because there was a referendum afterwards which showed that people wanted to join Russia, the Russian Federation, <laughs> which, which is, you know, oh, hello. OK, all right, that's fine then. No problem. Let's just invade and have, uh, have a referendum afterwards. Another <laughs> referendum, you know. Let, let, uh, let the occupying forces have a referendum. Yeah, for example. And and uh, so it, it's, uh, yeah, it, 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 she, the, the links are, again, uh, undeniable. The links are, are, are a genuine problem for her. They might be what in the end decides the election because of, uh, of the present circumstances and that people will think twice again, despite the fact that Macron certainly is not as popular as he was when he was first elected. And that there is a, a perception, again, which is shared by many, many people, including people I know, that he's so distant, so far away, uh, from from everyday life and from ordinary French people that, in a way, they don't want really to, they, they don't want to choose between the two. I mean, at the moment, um, I, I don't want to tempt fate, but it looks as if, as we're approaching polling day, uh, the gap between the two, which was very, very um, uncomfortably close at one point, uh, is now starting to widen again, but we will not see a result like the 66 uh, 33 that that we had uh, in the in the first runoff uh, yeah. in the previous presidential election. We're not going to have that. It's going to be it's going to be quite close. We know that, but um, 
it, it, it does look as if there is a widening of the gap at the moment. Um, I just hope it's true. But to be honest, tonight's debate, I mean, tonight we're Wednesday, in, in case people are listening to, to this um, later on, um, will, will be crucial. Uh, she was absolutely awful in the previous election when she had this debate directly with uh, Emmanuel Macron. Uh, I'm sure she will be much better prepared this time and that she will have uh, honed uh, the rhetoric, the, again, the little people rhetoric, but she can expect to be a, a, a full frontal assault really on her positions when it comes, her historical positions when it comes to um, to to Russia and to Vladimir Putin by um, uh, by President Macron. Uh, but to be honest, this, this debate, I don't think I can remember a, a debate which is going to have as much of an impact as this one since the famous debate between François Mitterrand and Valéry Giscard d'Estaing, which led to François Mitterrand being elected um, French president. But that's a, a long time ago. That's over 40 years ago. Yeah. Uh, Philippe, uh, I don't know how much long you've got with us, but please stay with us if you can. I know one or two people want to join our conversation and maybe ask you a question or two as well, if that's okay. Um, uh, I won't over in, you know, I won't uh, abuse your kindness in giving us some time, but if, if you could just hang around for a little while, that would be great. And um, I'm just intrigued a little bit by Macron then. He, uh, Macron is decried by his critics as a kind of globalist, that said in a derogatory way, a, a man who favours the interests of international organizations, international banks and so on, global capitalism, over that of French people, in, in perhaps a way that Blair was criticized here in mm -hmm. the UK. Um, yes, um, the supranationalist, um, the former banker, well, you can imagine all all the things people are saying about that, mm. and uh, the fact that he he is I mean he's not shy of his uh, also pro European feelings. I mean, to be he actually makes it a another of the uh, the the foundations of of his program and his basically his approach to 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 politics, and it's not helped by by his personality. Uh, if you uh, he is. Somebody is remarkably intelligent, smart. He can be a very good speaker from time to time, but it's very difficult to resist the uh, feeling for some that in a way he feels himself to be um, superior to the people he talks to or he talks at, which is a big problem. <laughs> and, and and he also, yes, he has this image of uh, uh, the, uh, he, he is in a way the uh, the candidate of the business schools. Uh, the the president who talks about digital revolution in France, but in a way uh, that is, uh, he wants like a, um, thousands and thousands of new startups to be created, which by the way has been the case in France uh, over the past few years. He wants this uh, new generation of, uh, of graduates and so forth, uh, creating a, a kind of new um, post-analog economy, so to speak. And the fact is that in if you look at France's economic performance, his first term, considering what we've been through, uh, including, of course, the pandemic, has been a success. If you compare the numbers uh, of France to what they were before, if you compare to it to neighboring countries, if you think about the very the, the specificities of, of French society as well, uh, he's achieved a lot. Unfortunately for him, these are statistics. You don't think in statistics. You don't feel, rather, in statistics. And the way people feel is perhaps very different from the way people are. 
And I know that it's something that I've I've, I've spoken to a few friends in, in Britain about. Said that this in France is probably the European country where there's the greatest um, difference um, distance between the personal sense of contentment, which is very high in France, and the feeling that things are really going very badly, which is also very big in France. So you've got this weird <laughs> dissonance of a country that is actually doing quite well, economically speaking, but people are quite pessimistic about it when they talk about the country as a whole. But when they talk about their own lives, a majority of people are actually quite content, contented with, with their lives, their, their family life, uh, the envi their environment, the, the, their housing. And, and, and there is, but there is this dissonance, this, uh, uh, which puzzles, I think, um, the French people themselves, which is in a way a great petri dish for a populist candidate, because people are quite satisfied with their lot in some ways, which means they're not too frightened, perhaps, to take some risks when it comes to making political decisions. I hope that what I'm saying is making sense. Yeah, no, well, I, I, and, it, it, and it's difficult and it's nuanced and it's uh, uh, therefore interesting. Uh, that, that, that's great, Philip. Let's hear, what, um, let's hear what Luke has to say. Hello, Luke. You've been very patient. Hello. Hi, yeah. Uh, thanks for letting me speak. Um, so, I, I mean, I just want to say thank you to Philippe, first of all, for making some, some good points. I've appreciated what you said. Uh, I'm, I'm 20 years old, so this is my first presidential election I'm voting in. Um, and where and are you calling from, Luke, if you don't mind I'm, me I'm calling from London, so I'm French, um, but I live here in the UK. 20 years old, so it's my first election, as I said. But do you, you get a vote in the French election, do you, yeah? I do, yeah. yeah. I go to the embassy and I vote overseas from here. Um, yeah. And so I thought what Philippe said about what's changed since 2017 for Le Pen... Uh, a hollowing out of the center uh, with with Macronism, I, I agree with that, and then a the moderation in in Le Pen's policies. Uh, but just I'd like Philippe's opinion on what he thinks um, and what you think, Philippe, the the effect of Zemmour has. Because uh, I mean, from my point of view, it's a candidate that emerged further right than Le Pen is, yeah. um, and and it makes somewhat. Le Pen is not is not untouchable in French politics anymore, you know, because now there is an even worse alternative than she is. And so does it either soften her image and does it increase support? I mean, you said it won't be a repeat of the 66-34 we saw in 2017. But do you think a lot of that is down to her being softer than what than what Zemmour is, um, I mean, relative to each other? Thank you. Yeah, I, I, in part, Luke, absolutely. I, I think that Zemmour's discourse has been so extreme, um, as we know ourselves as, as French people, you know, as a journalist and also as a presidential candidate, that it's enabled Le Pen to, without moving her position, she's been able to, uh, there's a, it's a kind of a, a slow translation to the centre right or to the traditional right, which is only there because there's suddenly this new block in, in 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 the wall, and this block is extreme right wing. So if you add it, well, if you add something to the right, it makes what was on the right looks more central. If you see what I mean, that's exactly the way it works. Mm. And also, she. I mean, the, the the strange thing about Zemmour as well is that 
Zemmour is not really a populist candidate. He did, where he did the best was in very well-to-do areas, like, for example, in Neuilly and in the 16th arrondissement of Paris. I think he brought together uh, what I would call the hardcore right uh, from the kind of fundamentalist Catholic um, um, you know, constituency. Uh, people who would traditionally have voted not for Le Pen, whom they consider to be a little bit too common, but would have voted for uh, a right-wing candidate. These people probably voted for Sarkozy, for example. But Zemmour has, has called the imagination of, of, of these people. They, they voted for him. Uh, and also the thing is that Le Pen you know, doesn't have to um, court the electorate of Zemmour. It will come to her naturally. So in a way, it's a win-win situation uh, for, for her when, when Zemmour announced his candidacy, because he suddenly, he, he detoxifies her candidacy a little bit. Uh, it has eaten a little bit, perhaps, in her traditional support, but she's going to get this support back in the second round, I believe. Mm. Uh, just to recap those results from the first round of voting, of course, it now goes down to the the last two, as it were, to Macron and Le Pen. Uh, Macron got 27.8% of the vote, Marine Le Pen 23.1% of the vote, so pretty close. Then Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the left-wing candidate, got 22%, and Eric Zemmour, the far-right candidate, 7.1%. So, and actually, sorry, on, yeah. on Mélenchon, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but on Mélenchon, Philippe, uh, I've seen recently that uh, he's he's called the legislatives. So in June sometime, he's called yeah. that the third round of the presidential yeah. election, actually, which is quite interesting. And he's now angling from it. So he was close to getting into the second round, didn't. And now he's angling to be prime minister. Should he have a majority uh, in, in this so-called third round of the of the presidentials? Um, one, do you think that's likely? And and two, I, I mean, how do you think altering his position like that to to instead go for being a prime minister from instead of presidential candidate i mean does being so close to the second round garnering 20% will that will that make his base vote for macron because i've seen uh, estimates that that abstention in the left in the bloc that voted for mélenchon will be quite high i mean so how do you think that plays out and his new position yeah. I, I think, yes, I think the uh, abstention rate is going to be, I mean, all the pollings in, indicates that. Also, the fact that even if he said, I think I'm quoting his exact words, not a single of my votes should go to Marine Le Pen. OK, he said that, but he didn't say my votes should go to Emmanuel Macron. So uh, it's there's a kind of unspoken message here, uh, uh, which is actually not that subliminal at all, uh, which is basically uh, what, what Mélenchon wants is chaos. I, that's a personal point of view. Uh, in which of which he can be the emerges as a winner, and I I think that Mélenchon has got a good chance of uh, you know the La France Insoumise uh, has got his party has got a very good chance of doing extremely well at, at the legislative. Uh, the idea of a gouvernement de cohabitation uh, with Macron as president and Mélenchon as, as prime minister, I have to say, I look I feel like laughing when I say that because. <laughs> pure chaos, pure chaos, pure chaos, absolute chaos. Uh, because Mélenchon, let's not forget, by the way, because we, we talk a lot about, about Le Pen, but in, in a way it would be just as interesting, believe me, Adrian, to talk about Jean-Luc Mélenchon, who is a very interesting character indeed. Um, I, and and you, you would have 
uh, an anti-European as well, anti-globalist, anti all these sort of things, uh, with the most pro-European, uh, pro-globalist president you could imagine. So a little bit different from the kind of previous so-called cohabitation that we had between uh, a, a right-wing prime minister and a left-wing uh, president or, or vice versa. Uh, it would be it would make for an interesting time. But I think in any case, I completely agree that the legislative uh, will be the third round. Because at the moment, um, it's very difficult to see how this is going to pan out uh, in Parliament. Uh, I think Le Pen, I don't think the Rassemblement National will necessarily do very well in the legislative. I think Mélenchon will do very well indeed. But what will be interesting is to see whether the uh, social democratic vote, which has totally melted uh, in this uh, in this election, uh, and I'm thinking of Anne Hidalgo and the Parti Socialiste, is going to actually garner some more um, strength. If uh, Yannick Jadot, uh, the uh, the Green candidate who underperformed as well, if the Greens are going to do a bit better, probably better in the legislative. So in a way, we're, we're talking, yes, about, about a third round and a fourth round. Uh, <laughs> and this, then, that, just so we're clear, again, for UK listeners, that third round and the fourth round would be for the parliament, not for the president. The, the, the runoff for the president is Sunday and it is between Le Pen and Macron. And I suppose my question was, you've, you kind of partly answered it by saying that the votes of Zamor, most of them anyway, will go to Le Pen. But yeah. it cannot be taken for granted that even the majority of the votes for Mélenchon will go to Macron. No, I, I think that the, the I, I think we'll have a pretty good idea of the result of the election way before the um, uh, the polls, um, you know, the exit polls are made public at at eight p.m. on Sunday by looking at the participation. If there is a high participation, it would mean that the Mélenchon voters have gone to uh, the polls, and if they have done, it won't be to vote for Marine Le Pen. There will be some will do, some will do. Mm. Um, because another peculiarity, perhaps, of of the French political life and political history is that uh, the what used to be the very strong communist party vote, that's talking, you know, a while back, but has drifted towards the hard right and towards the hard left. So um, you you will have if you if you see that there is a you know, like 76 or 77 percent participation, you think it's very good for Macron. If you think it's only in the low 70s, this is going to be, um, I think, it, like Alex Ferguson said, squeaky bum time. <laughs> uh, just one couple of things before we let you go, Philip. It's been fascinating insight, by the way. I'm really, really grateful. I've learned so much listening to you. Just a, a couple of things really to tidy up. And th this loan from the now defunct Russian bank to Le Pen yeah. and her anti-Europeanism or anti-EU stance. People have seen here in the UK, uh, whether they wish to believe it or not, uh, evidence of attempts at Russian interference in our elections. That, yeah. I think any sensible person who has looked at that could not deny that Russia has at least attempted to interfere, for example, in Brexit, uh, in the EU referendum, and indeed in the Scottish referendum. Th those attempts, at least, are evidenced. Now, in, in terms of Russia and France, we know that a bank would not lend that scale of money 
to Le Pen or to her political party without at least some kind of official nod and a wink from Putin. So are we seeing the same thing there? Putin's desire simply to divide, to polarise, to ensure that there is some kind of disharmony at the heart of the European project. I mean, it's so obvious. I think that on Sunday, um, they, they will be saying prayers and lighting candles, unfortunately, and when you see the position of the Russian Orthodox Church at the moment uh, for Le Pen's triumph, um, that is without without any doubt, um, because at one stroke it would uh, threaten, not only threaten, I think that the European unity which we've seen so far, which many people, which has surprised many people, would be a thing of the past almost immediately. Mm. She keeps because she keeps asking even though she says that it is um that the invasion is inexcusable that it is wrong that she condemns it she has been stead you know steadfast in in her insistence of uh, finding di- diplomatic solutions which of course you know is absurd uh, given the situation on the ground there mm. um, but suddenly it would put in insert a, a huge wedge in what has been the common front between well with the exception of Orban, uh, which has been a, a united front from the European Union, which has surprised and I think probably uh, dismayed uh, Putin and, and his ilk. Uh, and then suddenly with her there, you would have uh, one of the founding members of the European Union, a, a country which is completely identifies itself with the building, with European um, building of the, of the European Union, suddenly um, taking on a position that would threaten and uh, I'm afraid um, create uh, even more than threaten, perhaps um, destroy the the current unity, which is why I wish that people woke up to that and um, pinch their nose if need be, but block her. Mm. But that's me speaking, you know, this is not, uh, I don't even describe myself as an analyst. I'm just somebody who observes, I'm an observer here. Um, But the the French citizen uh, hasn't, and the European citizen, hasn't slept very well since the first round results, I must say. Mm. And one final thought. There does seem to be a continuity here, doesn't there? When you think of her demands for French primacy, French sovereignty over EU law, there's an obvious echo there with calls by Brexit campaigners for UK sovereignty, America first with Trump as well. We're in an age of populism and there is a, a continuity between Trump and Johnson and Le Pen, notwithstanding that there will be differences in policy and nuance between all of them, but they are all cut of the same cloth, it seems to me. Yeah, and that cloth is cut in a a flag. And um, the pity is that the flag that she's claiming as ours, as hers, is is a flag, is the flag of the the revolution. And I can't think of anybody who is further away from the ideals of liberté, égalité and fraternité as Marine Le Pen. Absolutely fantastic to speak to you, Philippe. Thank you very much indeed. A really great contribution. And I hope we do speak again now that you've mastered the technology. But that's yes. brilliant. Thank you so much. I hope you've enjoyed it. Thank, I you. Have. thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you, Adrian. And thank, thank you, everybody, who's been listening.
Thank you, Luke. Yep. And uh, this will, uh, those of you who are listening live, thank you. And uh, other people will be listening again on Catch Up via the Byline Times podcast. And if you want to support this kind of conversation, this kind of intelligent analysis, then please think about taking out a subscription to the Byline Times. It's a brilliant monthly newspaper with lots of exclusive content, but you're also helping to fund Byline Radio, the podcast. Byline TV and our brilliant newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com, which is where you'll find details of how to subscribe. That's at bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. We'll see you again soon. Stay tuned to Twitter and at Byline Radio for details of more live Twitter spaces. We'll see you again soon. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye now.